0: Thank you, brother. Well, if you would, please get a Bible and turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. The book of Jonah, chapter 2. By the way, how many of you went to a community group this morning? Raise your hand. Wave at me. Very cool. How many of you got this? Raise your hand. Wave at me. Some of you, yes, some of you know. Okay. Interesting. Very good. Uh, I would love to see and hear some feedback from you guys with regard to... uh, How Genesis 3, 6, and 11 fit in the Old Testament uh, scheme of things, and how it sets up the foundation for the rest of the whole—not just the Old Testament, but Jesus Christ coming. Most of us are familiar with Genesis 3, right? Most of us. So that serpentine figure, uh, divine, supernatural beings were often depicted as serpents uh, in the ancient Near East, and here we have a divine figure, this serpentine figure. That's probably falling in conjunction with Adam and Eve. That, that's my take on it. I can't pound the pulpit on, on that, but I think we see the fall of Satan and the fall of uh, humanity conti- uh, uh, together uh, in that Genesis 3 passage. And what was the result of that? Sin and death, right? And then, right before the flood, the whole world is contaminated. The sons of God came down, and um, the earth was corrupted by progeny and by uh, the teaching of the sons of God to the degree that God has to start again, flood the whole world, start again, all right? And then strike three, Tower of Babel. Let's see if we can get this together. Humanity, and what what does humanity do uh, collectively? Builds a tower, and then God divides them not only by tongue, by the division of language, but also according to the number of the sons of God. And that's the context out of which God calls Abram, an old man, and his wife Sarai. And the promise is through his seed that all the nations will be blessed. In other words, the Messiah is going to fix the problem of sin and death in Genesis 3. The Messiah's teaching is going to fix the problem of man's proclivity to sin, which corrupted the world, a la Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And then also the son is going to fix the problem of all the nations being under the dominion and bondage of supernatural beings. And we see this play out in our lives. The Messiah was supposed to come and fix all those three. And indeed he does. That's why at the end of uh, Matthew he says, go and make disciples of all the ethnicities, all the nations. In other words, God's taking the nations back. Amen. That's our mission. Now, you might be thinking by now, I thought we were in Jonah. I'm giving you the big Bible because Jonah didn't get number two. What were the first three things? Identity, mission, destiny, right? Jonah failed miserably with that number two. You know why? Because God called him to a people that he feared, and he called him to a people he hated. He called Jonah to get up out of his little conservative bubble and go preach. He called Jonah to get up out of his little religious box, us four and no more, right? And, and go give the, mes- the uh, message of repentance to uh, the Ninevites. Well, as you know, as the story goes, right, did he obey God? No. In fact, let's, let's pull up the map if we can, brother. Let's show you geographically how bad it was. God calls... Uh, uh, Abraham, um, God calls Moses, and Moses answers, "No, I'm not good at speaking. I stu- I, stu- I, I, I I I stutter. Uh, go call Aaron, right? God calls Jeremiah. What does Jeremiah say? Uh, I'm part of the youth group still. Go call someone else, right? God calls Jonah. What does he Jonah say? He says nothing, <laughs> and he goes down to uh, um, Joppa to board a ship to go on the other side of the known world. That is Tarshish. Okay. So this is where geography is speaking much about Jonah's heart and his mind, all right? So today I have, from chapter two, four lessons almost learned, okay? Four lessons almost learned. And with the title, I'm emphasizing that we must learn and relearn these wonderful truths about God. These four almost learned lessons will be very familiar to you, okay? They won't be surprising, but the reality is, we must be taught them again and again. We know them, but in one sense we don't. We think we know them, but there is more to discover. Okay. So with that, before I go any further, I'd like to pray, and then we'll go right into the Word of God. All right. So if you want the Lord to speak to you through the preaching of His Word, if you have not done so yet, take out, uh, take some time and ask that of Him. Have you come hungry? Are you drawing near to God? Oh, Lord, thank you for that precious promise that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And Lord, I pray that you would do that on an individual level, as couples, as families, and collectively, corporately, as your people, God. You know exactly what we need. And so I pray that you would come and anoint, not just to preach, but to listen and sanctify our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's go... Uh, with the four almost learned lessons number one the lesson of God's sovereign answer to prayer the lesson of God's sovereign answer to prayer pick up with me in verse one then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of all places look at this from the stomach of the fish and he said I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me I cried for help from the depth of Sheol what is Sheol it's the place of the dead According to the Old Testament worldview, it's the place of the dead. You heard my voice. One of the most gracious things about God is he answers prayer. Not only does he answer prayer, but in the context of Jonah, he answers prayer to those who do not deserve to be answered. Did you catch that? Stay with me now. He answers the prayer of this Old Testament prophet that was in full-on, hard-headed, hard-hearted rebellion against him. His prayer did not deserve to be heard. This prayer deserved to be stuck among the gases inside the intestines of the great fish. Absolutely. And yet God heard his prayer and answered him. How different, how different from the man who died uh, after 10 calls to 911. Did you hear about this? In the early morning hours, Sharon Edge was concerned for her boyfriend, Curtis Mitchell, who was having severe abdominal uh, pain, and he needed to go to the hospital. So Sharon called 911 and was assured that help was on the way. Two, three, four calls later, help still had not arrived. The delay in response was a result of the heavy snowfall. This was in Pittsburgh brought everything to a standstill three times the ambulance had been as close as a football field's length from the house but the paramedics did not bother to walk through the snow to rescue Curtis about 30 hours after the initial call Sharon made her 10th and last call to 911 and that was the call to report that Curtis was dead Isn't that sad? I can't imagine the frustration and the helplessness that woman must have felt She needed help. She called for help, but help never came. How different from God's response to Jonah. Beloved, this is the first lesson almost learned. And it's it's learned because we know God answers prayer, right? But it must be relearned because our prayer lives can diminish. Our prayer lives can weaken. They can shrink. They can fade. For example, in the temple of the Lord, uh, he, he commanded his priests saying this is leviticus 6:13 quote a fire shall always be burning on the altar it shall never go out the fire on the altar was a reflection of god's moving power and his continual ministry on behalf of his children so if your life if your prayer life rather is like a fire how's it burning how's it burning is it a blaze is it diminishing is there a need for you to tend the flame? By the way, if you want to know where to begin, perhaps uh, this week, read, study, and then pray the Lord's Prayer. This is in Matthew uh, 6, verses 9 to 13 this week. all right. So perhaps the Lord, through this message, is saying, hey, your prayer life, you need to tend to it, you need to put some wood on it, Okay, it's diminishing. Perhaps uh, begin with Matthew 6, 9 to 13 this week and use that as a model To tend the flame of prayer. Amen. Because listen, beloved, following Jesus Christ is an impossible task without God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Right? The mission that God's given us, this local church, impossible to accomplish without Him doing it. Right? If if the Lord doesn't build the house, though they that labor, labor in what? Vain. Right. So if we're engaged in church activities or, or things that are, are in support of the mission of this church, if God doesn't build this church, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Right? So <clears throat> Jonah is a wonderful book for us to stay focused on the mission. Focused on the mission. Number two, the lesson of God's sovereign discipline. This might be my favorite among the four uh, Look, look with me in verse 3. The lesson of God's sovereign discipline. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Oh, wait a minute, Jonah. I thought that's what you wanted. Remember chapter 1? He tried to what? Run from the presence of the Lord. You remember that from last week? Wait a minute. I thought that's what you want, Jonah. Look at verse four. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Oh, yeah. This is discipline. This is an odd rescue here. This lesson is clearly on display in these verses. <clears throat> now, notice that Jonah did not, be, Jonah did not believe in deism as, as I did when I was growing up in that traditional Southern Baptist church at Fifth Avenue Baptist uh, Church in downtown St. Petersburg. Averaged about 800 on Sunday school, right? Deism contains the belief that there is a God but that God has put natural laws in place and the universe runs on its own based on these so-called natural laws. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. A thousand times wrong. The universe does not run on its own, beloved. Nothing runs on its own. Every created thing owes its existence to God. But God does even more. God not only creates all things, He upholds all things together by the word of His power, Allah, Hebrews 1 3. So, God creates all things, not only that, He upholds all things, the universe. Boy, I, I'm grateful for that truth when it feels like my life is falling apart. How about you? Oh, I'm sorry, are you one of the people where you got all your act together? Yeah. So he creates all things, and listen, if he's upholding the entire universe, he's going to uphold you, beloved, if you're in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why we see the whole world, their whole lives are, 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 is filled with chaos and disorder. They know not God. There is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. And that's why they're doing these silly things, these stupid things, just like we did before we came to know Jesus Christ, by his grace and mercy. But there's more. He not only creates, he not only sustains and upholds all things, he does even more than that, fantastically more. What is that? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he works out all things after the counsel of his will. Amen. Who is this God? This is breathtaking. His works are so glorious. They're beyond all comprehension. Now, these truths are evident. I'm I'm, I'm coming out of the gate with these things because of verse 3. Because of verse 3. Watch. For you had cast me into the deep. Stop. I thought in chapter 1 it was the sailors who threw Jonah into the deep. You see what he's saying here, verse 3? You had cast me into the deep. Oh, wait. No, it was the sailors, Jonah. You got your theology. Oh, no, he doesn't have his theology wrong. Notice in verse 3 again. Next sentence in verse 3. All whose breakers? All your breakers and billows passed over me. What is going on here? This is wonderful. No breaker belongs to itself. Every breaker of every sea is God's breaker. Amen. No billow belongs to itself. Every billow in the Mediterranean Sea is God's billow. The sailors, the breakers, the billows are simply secondary means by which God sovereignly disciplines Jonah. Wow. This is wonderful. Now, let's take the lens back even further. In the ancient Near East, the sea represents what, beloved? Yes, you guys know that? Chaos. Chaos represents the chaotic forces of evil and disorder. And this is why the Apostle John describes the new creation like this in Revelation 21.1. I used to be depressed about this because I grew up uh, in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida and uh, was close to the, the, the most beautiful sunsets any time I wanted to drive 10 minutes away, right? It goes like this, Revelation, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. Yay, what? Why no longer any sea? To the ancient mind, the sea represents chaos, disorder, and evil. It's the place you don't go. It's, inhabitable. it's not habitable by humans, right? It gets deep and it gets dark and there's big mo- sea monsters underneath there, right? They didn't have ships like we uh, have today. So Jonah is tossed into the sea. It's like the place of the dead, And the great fish ate Jonah So you've got deep sea You've got sea monster You've got seaweed wrapped around his head This is the place of death This place of death is where Well for example uh, Let me me ask you this Uh, When you die Well we use the phrase Six feet what He's six feet under We don't say he's six feet up He's six feet under Right When we die we go down this is, why, this is how we should approach uh, verse six. Quote, I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. So what's going on here in his prayer? Very simply, <clears throat> it's Old Testament language describing the place of death. It's scary. It's dark. It's dangerous. It's threatening. Evil creatures are part of death. Satan is the Lord of death. And yet what? What? what God is the one controlling all of this it is a strange rescue it is a strange discipline indeed God is so great that he even uses evil forces and evil powers to work out his will for our lives amen didn't believe that growing up in church now I do how about you you actually believe that? God uses evil forces and evil powers to work out his will for our lives, and this is a great mystery, and this is exactly what God does. So looking at some of the faces here after saying that, let me give you an example. Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus Christ says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Wow, do do you see that? This is Luke 22, 31 to 32. God's basically staring Peter in the face and says, look, Satan wants to have at you. He wants to destroy you. But I have prayed for you. Were it not for the prayers of the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not making it through this life, beloved. And he calls your name by name to the Father. Look up at me. Every one of you, look up here. You're going to make it in Jesus Christ. Your high king, Jesus Christ, is praying for you. He's praying for you. So when you feel the weight of stress and distress and anxiety, And what on earth is happening in this world when it feels like it's reeling and rocking and chaos is ensuing? Know this, your God rules and reigns over all of it. Politics, nations, he tees up, and other nations, he puts down. The nations are like a drop in a bucket to God, the Almighty. So yes, beloved, you will make it in Jesus' name. Stay faithful, stay prayerful. This mystery reaches its zenith at the cross of Jesus Christ. For example, continuing in Luke chapter 22, it says in verse 52, then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, quote, listen to Jesus. When the bad guys come to get him, listen to Jesus. Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Wow. This hour and the power of darkness are yours. Crucifying the Son of God was, in one sense, the most demonic, devilish deed ever to occur in human history. Right? And yet, God ordained it to be so in order to save his people. Oh, yes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's mystery here. There's mystery in every doctrine that we go up against. And at the end of every doctrine, there's a cul de sac, and God's calling for faith. God's calling for faith. Do you believe this or not, beloved? Number three, the lesson of God's sovereign grace. Praise God for the second half of verse 6. <laughs> but, this reminds me of Ephesians 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, right? According to our own flesh and according to the course of this world, but God, right? Look at the second half of verse 6. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Amen. If you write in your Bibles, underline that last line. Salvation is from the Lord. There are many things that could be said about the sovereign grace in these verses. When you look closer at these verses... I see at least seven aspects of God's sovereign grace at work. Let me go through those very quickly with you. If you want to take notes, take notes fine. If you want to sit back and listen, do so. So when we talk about this sovereign grace, we could go all different places, right? But let's stay focused with how it is uh, revealed in verses 6b to 9. For instance, salvation through judgment, right? Right? You brought my life up from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. So he's being judged, he's being disciplined, and yet he's being saved. We, uh, we mentioned this uh, last week. And here again, I'll, I'll bring in the big three events of the Old Testament, right? Salvation through grace in the garden. What happened? They were banished from the, the garden, right, from the presence of the Lord. But yet God clothed them. Right? God clothed them. That's salvation through judgment. Genesis 6, 1 through 4. <clears throat> God judged the world, but what is he doing? He's saving the family and the animal kingdom on the ark. That's salvation through judgment. Right? Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Right. He's, he's judging the nation's division by language, but he's also saying, oh, you're building your little uh, ziggurat by way Uh, The tower was a ziggurat Often connected to temples in the ancient Near East So God's like okay After the fall After the flood You collective humanity You don't want me up here Okay I'll assign you to someone else up here Let's see how that works out The sons of God And how did it work out The sons of God The evil rebellious ones Leads collective humanity Into idolatry Into idolatry that's why there's different religions that's why idolatry is the number one issue in the Bible okay salvation and salvation through judgment at the tower that's that's judgment but what does he do he promises to bless the nations through Abram that's salvation through judgment Genesis 3 6 and 11 amen so we see this here as well here's another instance of God's saving sovereign grace while fainting, he remembered God. Look at verse 7 with me. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. You know, there are times in our lives when we get tired. Amen? There are times in our lives when we get weary. Amen? And there is a kind of tired that goes beyond just needing a nap to refresh or needing a good solid eight hours, nights of, uh, or hours uh, of a night's sleep. Discouragement can press in, depression can set in, or even despair can set in, and we can feel as if our lives are fading away. But God is with us even when these things occur, beloved, and it is him that will not allow us to go under. Amen. The fact that Jonah remembered God while he was fainting is nothing but pure grace from God. Amen. Amen. Salvation through judgment. While fainting, he remembered God. That's a, that's a work of God's grace in our lives. He prayed to God. 7b. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in us. This is an aspect of sovereign grace. The Holy Spirit produces the desire and the energy and the activity of prayer. So I ask you, beloved, how's your prayer life? Again, how's your prayer life? How is the Holy Spirit being manifested in your life? through prayer. And may God use this message to increase our prayer lives. Amen. Amen. I've, a uh, couple weeks ago, I, I warned the church, you know, this is the month in which a lot of the occultists and Satanists and Luciferians and the witches and the warlocks are engaged in their prayer to their God. You guys realize that, that uh, Right. And so they're, they're trying to curse this person or curse that pastor or curse this church or curse this and curse that. And so I'm pleading with you as God's people, crank up your prayer life in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Fight back in Jesus' name. Father God, in the name of Christ, any prayer uttered against this church is broken in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, do you know how to fight, beloved? You know how to get on your knees and fight for your marriage in Jesus' name? You know how to pray for your family? Amen, beloved. What a great God, He answers prayer. There's another thing I see here as it relates to God's sovereign grace a rejection of paganism. And this is is odd because it's coming from the Old Testament prophet Jonah. What is going on? Look at verse 8 Those who regain, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, a rejection of idolatry, a rejection of paganism. In the Christian reader, Robert, Dur- uh, Robert Duran, of Bethany Fellowship Mission, he writes of his return to one of his uh, mission stations. And I'll read this to you. This is fascinating to me. He says, our, our horses carefully picked their Uh, way along the rock-strewn path, finally, after two hours of travel by truck and eight hours on horses, we could discern the outlines of the small uh, Huicole village in Mexico. We look forward to seeing friends we had made in this remote village during three years of visits, most of all, Pastor Alfredo. First to notice our arrival, the dogs and children loudly brought the news to all those indoors, Puicoles are patient and shy, but one woman, Maria Teresa, beckoned us to her door. Her husband Santo was sick and wanted to see us. Their low walled, thatched roof house was built of stone with no windows. Santo lay on a bed made of blankets, which hardly raised him off the dirt floor. He greeted us weakly and was caught by a spasm of coughing. The first time we had met three years earlier, a villager had led us to Santo, one of their most feared witch doctors. Before we could introduce ourselves, he shook my hand and said, Robert, I have been waiting for your visit. Surprised, I asked, how did you know my name? And his reply was, quote, the guiding spirits left me yesterday. They told of your coming and that they could not stay while you were in the village. Now, after many visits to the village and to Santo's home, 18 people had become followers of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? He continues, though. Today, Santo was happy to see us, and he wanted to talk. Quote, allow me to pray that I may receive Jesus Christ and follow him, we heard him say. Joyfully, we asked if he was willing to conf- you know, forsake his sins and, and have faith in Jesus Christ, and he nodded. Three times I began to pray, but Santo could not get the words out of his mouth. Finally, after we commanded the demonic spirits to leave his body, Santo was able to pray. Praise God, amen. Just three months later, Santo's wife told us that one morning, Santo had risen from his sleeping mat and asked for food. She made him tortillas. As he ate, he told neighbors gathered in his house, quote, this is my last meal. Tonight, Pastor Roberto's God is coming to take me to his house. And that night, He passed into eternity. Praise God, our God saves witch doctors. Amen. The power of evil is nothing before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Praise the Lord, the kingdom of God is greater than all the powers of darkness. Now you might be thinking, well, what does it have to do with Jonah? And why is he? He's verse eight. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. What's going on here? Well in Jonah's case He's not trying to manipulate forces Like a a witch would Or a warlock would No in Jonah's case The idol is Jonah It's himself It's his will He was insubordinate to God's will And what does God do? Okay Okay you exercised your free will, I'll try somebody else? Oh, no. Oh, no. God's will is done. Amen. Talking about put the squeeze on somebody. He had to learn it the hard way, didn't he? So, you see what, you see, do you see the foundational connection here to paganism? It's not submission to God's will. It's Uh, paganism or idolatry is insubordination to god's will this is the essence of witchcraft have you not read first samuel 15 23 quote for rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the lord he has also rejected you from being king that's the prophet to saul right Rebellion is as the sin as divination insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry so parents that's why when you're raising those little vipers in diapers you spank them in Jesus name amen right discipline you love them you love them here's another indication of God's sovereign grace there's the expression of thanksgiving verse 9 Verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. How many of you have been put in circumstances that are woeful and difficult and hard and you did not feel like praising God? Can I get an amen? Where everything that came up against you was like the voice of the wife of Job who echoed the voice of Satan himself. Why do you hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And those circumstances were not palatable for you to lift your voice and praise God. And you were tempted to let go of your faith. You too were tempted to say no more to God. That's why the the verse, uh, verse nine, "I I will what? I will what? I will sacrifice to you. Sometimes we must bleed in order to worship God. It's a sacrifice to worship him. And the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit, and he will not despise such a spirit. Amen. Amen, beloved. This is beautiful. The expression of thanksgiving in the midst of darkness, that is a grace of God. That's a grace of God. Praise the Lord. And that's exactly what the powers of darkness is trying to quench in you and quench in me and quench in this church. Praise and worship is spiritual warfare. So we see an expression of thanksgiving. Also, uh, we see renewed commitment at the bottom of verse 9. That which I have vowed I will pay. So I, I see this as an expression of renewed commitment to the Lord. And then number seven, for taking notes, affirming God's total sovereignty in salvation. That last sentence in verse nine, salvation is from the Lord. Amen. I grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist church with the theology that basically says, well, man votes And the devil votes. Oh, no, God votes and the devil votes and you cast the deciding vote, human. God has his will and Satan has his will and you have to work your will. That is so bad. That is so bad. That is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, no. Salvation is of the Lord. Every last bit of it. Every last bit of it. For by grace, you've been saved. How? Through faith. And that not of yourself. It is the what? Gift of God. Lest any man should boast. It's all God's grace. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Fourth and finally, the lesson that we must learn and relearn is the lesson of God's sovereign deliverance. The lesson of God's sovereign deliverance. Verse 10. Then everybody say then then say it again then then the lord commanded the fish and it vomited jonah up onto the dry land people say the bible's boring or not reading the bible amen right (laughs) can you imagine if we saw this with our own eyes some of you fishermen out there i know you say like this would be cool to see right But I mean, wouldn't that be kind of gross to see, like literally, a full-grown man getting popped up, vomited up onto dry land? Disgusting. Perhaps our stomachs may have turned on the inside if we saw this with our own eyes. But how beautiful in the grossness of it, how beautiful. Jonah was saved from the forces of death, the stormy sea, and from the great deep. He was in the place of death, but God saved him. You see this? God allowed these forces to come upon Jonah, but he did not allow death at this time to take Jonah. It's no wonder why Jesus Christ himself likened his death and resurrection to Jonah being inside the great fish. We mentioned this last week. Do y'all remember that? The historicity of the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself is tied to the historicity of Jonah Absolutely. Jesus sunk to the place of death, did he not? Jesus took on the powers of darkness, did he not? And Jesus overcame sin, death, and Satan through his death and resurrection. Amen. Listen to me, beloved. Don't be like the majority of Christians sitting in churches today. Listen to me, beloved. You and I cannot earn our way to heaven. No one is good enough. There is no one that is righteous. No, not one. Our deliverance, our salvation is by grace through faith. So are you trusting Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Do you believe Jesus is the only way? That he is the truth, that he is the life, that no one can come to God except through Jesus Christ? Do you believe that with all of who you are? examine yourself today to see whether you're in the faith work out your salvation with fear and trembling I read of the true story and this is in Florence, Italy where a ruined large piece of beautiful marble was left by a a sculptor and he left it in the courtyard of the cathedral in Florence that ruined beautiful marble sat in the courtyard for almost a hundred years Artisans thought it was beyond repair. But in 1505, a young sculptor by the name of Michelangelo, anybody ever hear of him? He was asked if he thought anything could be done with that ruined marble, which became known, the nickname of that ruined marble became known as the giant. He measured the block. He carefully noted the imperfections caused by the bungling workmen of an earlier day. And to his mind came the image of the young shepherd, boy david so he carefully made a sketch of that biblical character as he envisioned him and for three years he worked steadily his chisel skillfully shaping the marble finally when one of his students was allowed to view the towering figure this this is 18 feet high weighing nine tons this person said master it lacks only one thing and that is speech this is what God is doing to us in Jesus Christ. He presses us into the image of his son, Jesus. He uses winds. He uses waves to shape us. He even uses dark forces. And in the context of Jonah, the reason why he does this is so that we might speak the gospel to those unlike us. And one of the shocking messages of Jonah Is that God is compassionate for those we fear and those we hate? Today, I want you to think about the people you are not naturally drawn to. Hear me. Perhaps those that you may not care for. The eccentric who does not seem to fit in with your group. Poor people. Those who do not share your level of living. People of a certain color. Those that are in prison. Those who cannot seem to get over their problems. Perhaps you're listening and in the quiet recesses of your heart you hold contempt for your own spouse. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild. Maybe it's a fellow church member. God wants you to consider the 1.3 billion people on the other side of the planet who have no access to the gospel while we sit in a city that has numerous opportunities for people to hear the gospel in Jonah we see that the Lord has compassion upon those that we do not have compassion for and not only this God sends us to them and this is something we do not have to pray about Go, make disciples of all the nations. And just as God told Jonah to get up and go, Jesus Christ tells us, beloved, to get up and go make disciples. And it begins in the colony and it extends to the other side of the globe. Amen. Amen. What a mission God has given us, beloved. What a mission. And I wish what we would consider and I wish we would look at the lost in the city just as frequently as you look at the finances report in the bulletin amen amen I wish we would concentrate on perhaps inviting people to come to church more than on Sunday morning saying well well, who's here and who's not here blah blah blah. right when was the last time we had baptism well praise God it was what two or three weeks ago amen But before that, how long? How long? One of our new members that concerned them, that join us. We've been coming here for several months and we haven't noticed a baptism. Right? We've been given a mission. It's to partner with Jesus Christ. Amen. And I I see in places in this church the kiss of God and the blessing of God. Do you see that? Do you see it? Amen. And do you also not see other places in which we need to go to God and see how we might better participate in the mission that he's given us in this place praise the Lord praise. Jesus Christ said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it amen I don't want to be in competition with Jesus he's going to build the church as he sees fit amen we just need to make sure are we following him Are we engaged in the mission he's given us? Do we have firmed up in our spirit the destiny that is ours in Jesus Christ? And is that impacting now, today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, just with Jonah, God bursts our bubbles. He breaks our boxes. And in the context of Jonah, it means you cannot have, we cannot have our own idea of what ministry looks like Because just as Peter messed it up, we tend to have our own mission and our own formation of what yeah, this will be good for us. This is what we're comfortable with, Jesus, and we stay with that. We stay with that. Like Peter did. I'm staying in Jerusalem and I'm eating ham sandwiches with the Gentiles on Wednesday, but come Sabbath time, I'm aloof from them. I'm aloof from them. All right? Listen very carefully. Don't be distracted. I'm aloof from them. Okay, So God has to tee up somebody outside of the 12 disciples. His name is Saul, who became Paul, to make sure that the mission given by the 12 was understood and meted out throughout the world. It's not just for the Jews. It's for the nations. All the nations will be blessed by your seed, Abram. His name is Jesus. That's why the first book in the New Testament starts out with a wonderful what? Genealogy. <laughs> we tend to scoot that and go to places that help us in our individual pursuit and in psychology. Yeah, yeah, the seed has come. His name is Christ. Go take the nations back. Go take Nineveh. Jonah was like, no way, Yahweh, no. And God basically said, oh, Really? okay let's go so how is the how has the Lord spoken to you through these four learned almost learned messages I think the Lord wants to take this church to places it has never been in the fulfillment of our mission together as we follow Jesus amen I believe that I believe that why why Because we're saved by God in order to serve God. Serve God. What does that service look like in you? For example, Pastor John, he he reminded us we have the uh, sex trafficking awareness walk that's coming. All right? We need help. We need help. Push back the darkness in North Dallas raise awareness. Every, is it bad for me to say, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong in saying this. I think every member of the church should participate in this walk. Amen. Hey, we didn't have enough signs. That was bad on our part. We should have had more signs, right? Get the dark. Push back the darkness. How is the Lord speaking to you through this message? Have you ever surrendered to him in salvation? Call upon the name of the Lord. Is your membership in this church, does it strengthen the body? Does it strengthen the body? Let's pray together.